it was sort of no fireworks. And, and I guess that's how most open source projects start, right? They start as a bit of a non-event side project and then people find them useful and they interact with that project and the founders and you then realize actually we've got something on our hands. This is Contributor, a podcast telling the stories behind the best open source projects and the communities that make them. I'm Eric Anderson. All right, we're here today with the co-founders of MindsDB, Jorge Torres and Adam Carrington. Good to have you both on the show. It's Cap Carrigan. Sorry. Okay, I'm sorry. Adam <laughs> Carrigan. I was going to leave him. Carrigan. Yeah, Carrigan. Carrigan. Yeah. Uh, off to a good start. Jorge, Adam, thanks for being here. No worries. Thank you for inviting us, Eric. So I was intrigued. I, I met Jorge recently, and the, the concept behind MindsDB is certainly clever and interesting. Explain for us quickly what MindsDB is. Yeah, uh, MindsDB essentially allows you to do machine learning in the database, mostly because you know you already have a lot of data in your database. It doesn't make sense to do it elsewhere. Whatever you want to predict, it's also coming from the database. And interestingly, it does so via like a SQL table, this kind of SQL view artifact. So you don't learn a new programming language or kind of new API. It just acts like a another table in your database. Is that right? Yeah, that's exactly it. Yeah, we speak the SQL Y protocol. So it looks just like an existing database and you can connect to it like you normally would a database. Awesome. And how did you get to this point? I mean, what's the story behind MindCB? And maybe part of that story is how the two of you came together. I don't know if, if one came before the other. Yeah, so um, I'll take the first part and, and talk about how we kind of came together. And, and then I'll hand over to Jorge and he can talk about the kind of uh, the start of the company. So Jorge and I have been friends for many years. I think probably it's coming on to 10 years now. Uh, we met uh, in Australia. Actually, I was living there and, and decided to, to do a master's as, as did Jorge. Uh, we ended up living together at college, became really good friends, worked together on sort of a few projects, became drinking buddies and just generally hung out. And I was studying economics and finance at the time. He was doing sort of computer science, specializing in you know, machine learning and AI or the early versions. And I then went on to Cambridge to do my dissertation in natural language processing and helping predict equity market movements. And Jorge um, started working for a number of really successful startups. So he was one of the first engineers at Couchsurfing, Skillshare. And so has had a lot of experience in, in that area. I went into consulting for a few years and then realized that consulting was not for me. And uh, Jorge dragged me out and, and uh, introduced me to the, the world of startups. And that's kind of where we started our journey. We actually have a previous company together um, that we decided to close down. And there's probably a whole podcast just on, on the learnings from a, a failed startup. Uh, but I'll hand to Jorge if he can talk a little bit about you know the rationale behind MindsDB and why we why we started it. I have a bit to add to that story though. Um, Twelve years ago, Adam was pioneering in uh, home automation, and uh, when I met him, you know, he was like, "You should come to my room. I want to show you something." And he was showing me how he could like control from his computer. This is twelve years ago, so like you know, Nest and all of this were not on the on the on the game, and um, he could like change all of the lights in his room. And then he's like, "And I have this special button." And he will press this button, all the lights will turn like pink and music will start playing. He's like, this is when I bring dates to my room. So when he showed me that, I was like, I need to be this guy's business partner. Like we're gonna build something and it's gonna be fun. Anyway, uh, many, many years later, we, um, after doing a lot of work on machine learning, we started to realize that people were reinventing the wheel in two verticals. The first one is 
all the ATLing that needs to happen when you have to do machine learning, mostly because you build machine learning applications essentially as an application. And in many cases, the data is already in the database. So they have to do a whole of like reinvention on how to do ETLing, even though databases are really good for that. And mostly because the data scientist or the machine learning engineer starts in a Python notebook and they have an ideal Pandas data frame of how they want their data, but then they end up doing a whole bunch of tricks to get to how that data has to be. And then the second part that they end up doing is they have to reinvent a whole bunch of infrastructure to deploy this model. So they essentially wrap those models around a web service, and this web service has to be consumed again to put the predictions wherever you want the predictions to happen. And it just felt that this dance for reinvention could be simplified if people could see machine learning models as tables in a database. And that's one of the things that we decided to provide. And in that journey as well, we started to understand that there are problems that are really hard when your data is in the database. And essentially, say for instance, you may have a lot of time series problems over and over. And these problems tend to be really hard for machine learning engineers as, as well. And we decided to automate a lot of the work for getting those particular problems solved. So MyZB allows you to not only deploy models as tables and databases, but also to generate those models in just you know a few queries. And presumably you're generating the models from the data already there in the database. Yeah. It sounds like you solved this whole slew of problems, which is the primary work around creating models, extracting data, munging it, cleaning it, creating the model, and then you deploy it. And you're, you're saying, I just create this table described alongside, and it as long as it depends on the data already in the database, you're good to go. That's exactly it. Yeah. And we didn't really get to cover all the the go back to some of the elements of the story. Adam, I have yet to find somebody who sees themselves as a consulting person. Everybody who wasn't consulting is looking for a way out or, or trying <laughs> to figure out where they want to be. And uh, sometime you'll have to give us a tour of your current home automation. Yeah, I'll tell you, it's much easier these days with uh, Alexa and Google Home. It was much more difficult back in the day, but yeah, happy to do that. Another episode, maybe. So you had this idea for the model as, as a table in the database, and how do you how do you go about getting started on such a thing? I mean, is this something you and Adam were already together and you just take a crack at it on a weekend? Yeah, so we, on our previous startup, even though we, we failed fantastically, we were doing a few things very well. And a lot of those were around automating the work and augmenting the capacity of the engineers that we had for machine learning workflows. So we did learn a great deal on automating machine learning and essentially not having to kind of build the same castle over and over. And that's essentially where we understood that even though in that startup we weren't doing something that had a, a good market, we understood that the problem that we solved for ourselves was a problem that many people had. And that's essentially how we decided to start this one. Got it. And what's the, um, well, I was going to ask you about like kind of the first line of code. What's the, the, the first push? Do you, are you able to kind of construct this thing and test it? Did it have any role in your prior company or is this a long effort to produce such a prototype? Yeah. So in, in a previous company, this thing was always a doctored prototype, you know, like we, we were building this thing just as a support engine for what we were working on. So when we decided to start this company, we start from scratch. We were like, okay, this is something that was working for us. It just needs to be actually built for that purpose. Mm -hmm. We had a long debate whether we were going to open source it or not. At this time, we were in Berkeley doing research for ML automation as well. And, you know, Berkeley has this philosophy for open sourcing stuff that it's, it's contagious. And we just 
let ourselves be carried away by that. And and actually, it was probably the best decision that, that happened because it really forces to not only just start kind of like putting a lot of code out there, but to improve this code at a frequency that we wouldn't have otherwise. Remind me when when open sourcing happened and how do you prepare for such a, an event, pushing something to the open? Yeah, I think um, we really didn't put much thought into it. I mean, we certainly put a lot of thought into whether we should open source or not, because we knew there was many implications, you know, after that. But in terms of the actual making our repo on on GitHub public, it was a fairly non-event. You know, I think at the time there was probably three stars. There was myself, there was uh, Jorge, and there was our lead engineer. My mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it was four then, right? It was four, and that was it. And it was sort of no fireworks. And I guess that's how most open source projects start, right? They start as a bit of a non-event side project. And then people find them useful and they interact with that project and the founders. And you then realize, actually, we've got something on our hands. And so when you look at the, like the growth in stars, um, you know, we've got, I think, uh, 35, 3,600 uh, stars now over the past couple of years. And in the first you know, couple of days, there was very little, right? And then it kind of caught on and there was a student started to use it through Berkeley. That was kind of our first niche market. You know, students were finding it useful and then kind of word of mouth got out and more and more people, you know, joined the project. And before we knew it, we were kind of at a thousand stars in, in a not too long period of time. And so we kind of knew we were onto something when we started to get this kind of traction and the number of people using it and, you know, and, and people contributing and the stars and the, you know, the, the forks. And so, yeah, initially non-event. And then as these things kind of do, they snowball and, you know, a couple of years later, here we are. And are these initial users, are they coming from a world where they've been doing deploying models the old way, ETL and data munching and pandas? And are they relieved to find they can just put in the database or are these kind of folks who never thought about doing ML, they have all this data and now that the barrier to entry is so low, they give the go. Yeah, I think when we first started the project, we started with the open source order ML component. So it wasn't really, we always had the vision and Jorge, credit to Jorge, he always had the vision of kind of bringing uh, machine learning to the, to the data layer. But we started off with the kind of core product, which is the order ML, making it easier for, for anybody. And so the types of people that were using it initially, as I said, were kind of the students that were kind of experimenting with CSVs and just trying it out. It then kind of caught on to people who, you know, knew the benefits of machine learning, but hadn't really, you know, they can't afford data science teams, or if they had, they were relatively small or overworked, um, had ideas on, you know, we've got all this data because, you know, it's kind of been in vogue to collect, you know, even the most traditional of industries has been collecting data for five or six years, but they're not really doing anything with it. And so with a tool like MySDB, um, at least in the first instance, they were able to kind of build these predictive models. And now, as we kind of have spoken to countless users and, and customers, and now that we've brought it to the, the data layer, um, it kind of takes that one step further, right? That, you know, there's these businesses who, you know, perhaps are a little bit more sophisticated in their machine learning endeavors can now also get the benefits. It's not just the order ML component. It's kind of the whole end-to-end package that, that, that we provide. And so there's people who are students who have you know, never touched machine learning before, all the way through to fairly sophisticated organizations who now can make the process a lot easier than ever has been. Maybe just to ground what you're doing in an example. So imagine I have a bunch of you know time series events and maybe these are click views. I don't know what would be a good representative example. Um, say in a thing like ClickHouse, how do I make a model out of those? Yeah, so let's go to the events and let's assume that you're using these events to also forecast if 
there's going to be demand on the product. Let's say that you want to tie this to inventory. So you, you have like all the stream of actual clicks and like on the different products. And you also have information about what you have in inventory. So you have all these tables and maybe ClickHouse is not like your operating database. It's kind of like your analytical database. So everything you end up dumping there. And it's really good because ClickHouse is very good for you to make the transformations that you need to make. So there is no real intention in MindZB to reinvent that wheel because ClickHouse does it really, really well. So you can then aggregate all this information and then you will have being the domain expert, you understand what you want to predict, in this case, inventory, and you feel that, uh, you know, like clicks as well as the history of all of your products and how the inventory moves is what you want to use for this prediction. So long you can kind of like aggregate all of that in one single query, then you can tell MyZB, well, from this query, I would like to predict the value inventory. And I would like to predict this, of course, like for the next day or for like the next week. And with those simple statements, and again, you can summarize that in simple statements. You can insert into a magic table that we have on databases called predictors. And you say, well, I want to create a new magic table called inventory prediction table. And I want to learn from this query. And the values I want to learn to predict are, let's say, inventory or units in stock. And once you do this, then MyZB, since it's actively listening to the inserts on this table, realizes that that is an instruction for MyZB. And then it starts trying many different models, and it will come up with one that actually works well for you. Now, one of the things that MyZB does really good here is that it will understand, you know, actually, this is a problem that is actually many times serious problems, because you may be clicking into many products, you may have many products in your database, so it's not that you want to create one predictor for just a single product, say the iPhone, you want to do it for like the thousands of products that you want to do there. So at the end, it figures out how to create like a, a meta model that can contextualize and it will go and train it and it'll give you some information about how good this model is. Then as soon as it's done training, it publishes that model as a table in ClickHouse, but you can also publish this to other databases that you can connect. Say for instance, if your production database is MySQL, then you can also tell MyZB to go and publish this model in MySQL. Even though you trained it from ClickHouse, you can still go and publish it in, in MySQL, and it will allow you to query that model for, let's say, now I want to forecast, you know, select from model where product ID is iPhone and date is tomorrow, and it will give you, you know, like an estimate of what the stock is. One of the cool things that we're doing now is we start to realize that since people have a stack that is, you know, plentiful in terms of like different solutions for different types of data problems, they may want to train, say for instance, from information that they have on ClickHouse, but they would like to make predictions in real time. Say for instance, they would like to forecast for anomalies that may happen in inventory. And what they can do is they can also project these models or deploy these models to uh, streaming technologies like Redis and Kafka. And all they have to do is, okay, well now you're going to listen constantly to an input stream, say the input stream for inventory and for the clicks and all of that, and the output you're going to get the prediction from this model. And essentially, MyZB finds a way to pipe it all together, and now you have a stream with the actual forecasting for inventory, and you can also tell it, you know, put in another stream whenever you see an anomaly. And that allows you to essentially have a solution that plays very well with the data that you have wherever you have it, exposes the machine learning capabilities in a way that is a construct that is native to you, like either a table or a stream. And then the dissonance that you have to have for building machine learning is not the, the current one, where you have to have a different team that specializes just on that. And that team has a high 
bar to move everything that they do into production. So you can essentially play with the same tools and the same knowledge that you have. Got it. There's a couple concepts there that are kind of mind blowing to a degree around. We often think of models as a thing you get, you ask a question, you get one answer, kind of point, single response results. But with databases, I sometimes I think of like a select all and give me like a whole table. Like, can, can you select all a MindsDB magic table? And it just gives you like a predictions for every scenario. I mean, what would that look like? I think that a great example to that what we're doing right now is you can join models with tables. And what that happens is that it will take everything that they have on the table and it will make a prediction for each one of those. And then it will give you the output of like the equivalent of joining a table with another table. This is useful, say, for instance, if you want to visualize how your inventory is going to look across all your stores in a map, mm-hmm. you know, so you can kind of essentially join like the current inventory with the model and then aggregate by store and then you can just visualize this on a, kind of like in a I don't know, heat map or whatever you want to do. So actually that point that you bring up, it's one of the reasons why we started building partnerships with uh, BA tools. So we have like one partnership with Looker, Looker being like the SQL kind of like uh, native BI tool. It plays really well with MyZB because then you treat predictive capabilities as you treat tables. So now you can have predictive dashboards with this capabilities of like joining tables with models and then being able to visualize the output of that in, you know, like in your dashboard is essentially what we provide for, for that realm. Yeah. Giving uh, Looker or, or Tableau like a, a point click forecast button seems certainly compelling. Yeah. And I think that that's what we understand now. We, we start to see that you may consume predictions in different scenarios. But SQL and, and databases are essentially the lingua franca for, for analytics as well as for applications and, and you know all the stack and data. And by being able to portray machine learning as a building block within all of that, it just binds in a very natural way to the way that people are doing things already. It makes it very easy for us to make this type of partnerships and integrations. And characterize for us a bit on on the when we say machine learning, the types we're talking about, certainly this kind of tabular numerical forecasts makes sense. It sounds like Adam had a history in, in natural language processing. Do you kind of have NLP neural net type use cases? I think a lot of us come to SQL tables and imagine numbers. What's the kind of scope of machine learning that you see? Yeah, so you're certainly right. Like in, in most relational databases, you have columns that have numbers or categories which you can kind of map into like some sort of numbers. And then there, the challenge is that you may not have all the information that you need in just one single row. Whatever you need may depend on other rows. So that's something that you can solve through MyZB. Now, you may have also columns that have text. Um, Say for instance, you have description and reviews for a given product and demand for that product may change as well based on the reviews. So you may want to take that information into account for your predicted models. And MyZB right now can do like inference from columns that are either numerical, categorical, and then a combination of those and in a time series manner. We are starting to also understand that people have the need to extract structure from text. So say for instance, you have descriptions for your products. And in the description, it says like, this iPhone has like this fantastic processor, whatever processor it is, it has a 8.5 inch screen and all of this information that may be kind of like in the text description. And ideally, in many use cases, what you would like to do is select from description dot display and it should give you a number, right? So being able to extract structure from text is one of the things that we are actually working 
on with some of our partners and that is yet to come but truly being able to portray these capabilities in a way that still looks native to the database user is powerful they don't have to go and train language models and then from those language models do kind of like entity extraction and then those entities map them into the database so the trick here is being able to portray those features in a way that still looks very natural to the way that people do queries in sql Got it. And, and you, you've given us the kind of e-commerce scenario. Where else do you find people getting excited about this? I wonder, Adam, you've got this background in kind of equity finance. Is there a place for this there or anywhere else? Yeah, absolutely. I think one of the difficulties, I suppose, with finance, you know, people automatically turn to hedge funds predicting the equity markets, right? You know, what stock should I buy today and tomorrow? And it's an extremely complex problem because there is so much data out there that you need to take into account. You know, no one individual firm holds all of the data. There's a lot of public data available from Reuters and from national statistics and, you know, macroeconomic data that needs to be taken into account. We haven't uh, yet had anyone try to do those sorts of tough problems, although because you can combine data sources from a variety of different places, um, it's something that you could certainly try to do. In terms of finance capabilities, a lot of people try to use things like internal to, to business, you know, projecting you know, what costs will be like over the next 12 months um, in terms of you know, revenue numbers and margins, etc. And that's something that we can do very, very easily. We have had a few people who have reached out to us from the open source community who have tried to predict really random things like the lottery numbers, which we can't help with, unfortunately. Wish we could. <laughs> also, I, I think that even to tap into that, we've had people using MyZB for risk. Like in the, in the financial services, risk is one of those things where the ROI is, is very clear. Like if you can forecast risk very well, then you can act upon it very effectively. And MyZB actually plays very well with like, this risk forecasting models for financial services as well. Certainly. So I, I guess that's one dimension you would operate in is, you know, the various sectors. And then the other is, we, we've already touched on this a bit, but like you help databases and it, it sounds like you've got integrations with quite a few. And then you also help the visualization layer. Are there other kind of layers in the stack? I, I suppose anything that that's SQL oriented could benefit. Is that right? Yeah. So we are now starting to to understand that beyond SQL, like say for instance, uh, the Mongols of the world, we're starting to see that there are challenges that are, are hard for, even if you know what you're doing in terms of machine learning, but once you crack them, then you can automate them, like machine learning on semi-structured data. So that's why we're now actively working with Mongo to bring these capabilities to them. Um, there is, of course, the streaming technologies out there that are an animal that takes a lot more skills to kill. Because you, you have to be really good at time series data, time series data with like all the different challenges that we described before, but then also being able to pipe all of this infrastructure so that you can make these predictions on the fly. So latency of the models and all of those challenges we're solving to. Actually for Redis Conf, which should be happening two weeks from now, we are launching with them Redis Sail, a streaming scalable artificial intelligence layer with MyZB. So if you have streaming data on Redis, we can do it thanks to my ZB as well. Yeah, so you're helping me realize that you're this AutoML framework that has these friendly interfaces, SQL being kind of the primary one, which puts you in the visualization tools and many of the databases, relational databases. But but you're not limited there. You know, you can, you can have other interfaces that are more streaming oriented, that are uh, more document DB-like oriented, and they all 
benefit from one another because you can train on ClickHouse and deploy on on a stream on Kafka, for example, as you described earlier. Yeah, yeah. And speaking of Kafka, we today we became a, an official partner for Kafka as well. So, yeah, Kafka is certainly very interesting for us because they, the way that they see streaming data, at some point also found a merger with SQL. Like uh, one of the big key features that uh, Kafka is portraying to the users right now is called KSQLDB, which is a way for you to see uh, streaming data with the mindset of a SQL user. And it just ties so nicely with what we're doing as well. So we're, we're very excited about the work that we're doing with them too. So tell us where the project's headed in the future. Um, and I also wanted to ask about, uh, you, you have quite a few contributors and I imagine some of those are, are beyond the scope of your organization. Are, are these users that want to add a feature or, or, or plug a hole? Who do you find jumping into the project? Yeah, we have all sorts of users, as you can see from kind of the number of people who contribute. You know, some of those people are certainly internal to MindsDB, as we obviously have public public repos. But a large chunk of those people are people who, um, you know, just want to build something for themselves, want to add a feature, want to report a bug or fix a bug, want to add documentation. And so, you know, we, we do, even though we, you know, are now looking for monetization, we still focus a lot of efforts and we have dedicated people inside the organization. You know, we're still a small team of you know, sort of 18 people, but we have people inside the team that are dedicated specifically to, you know, fostering and, and looking after that open source community. One of the things that we try to do is make machine learning much easier for people who don't know machine learning. And so behind the scenes, what we do is extremely complex. So you know, the code behind the scenes is, is, is you know, hugely complex and, and, you know, big tribute to, you know, our developers inside the organization who have been able to, you know, condense this extremely difficult um, sort of problem into something that is available to SQL users, right? Literally, you just need to know SQL. Um, and so a lot of our users are not the kind of people who are able to, you know, contribute to the main code base that we have, because it is, as I said, you know, extremely difficult to do and you need, you know, very specific skills. But people find ways to contribute in many, many ways, you know, from reporting bugs to submitting data sets to our benchmarking suites. So we welcome all of those contributions. Not everybody can code in Python and PyTorch and, and you know, build extremely sophisticated models and, and, and you know, the kind of things that, that our internal team does. But you can contribute in many, many ways. And, you know, we always want help from our community. So it's very important to us. One of the things... Um you have to wrestle with as you start to grow an open source project is is licensing and governance as you get bigger what how have you thought about these these situations and where have you ended up and what is your kind of plan going forward for managing the community i'll let adam answer the community part he, he manages that but um licensing we we started with a very permissive license mit and then we started to move to a license that was less permissive just so, so that people wouldn't build products that are based on MySB without MySB being aware of those. But soon we realized that our go-to-market was essentially through the cloud and by being able to produce MySB as a kind of like multi-tenant cluster kind of like environment, that is where we develop our enterprise features so they don't, they don't even make it to the source code. We're happy with the license that we have. Uh, lesser license would, would work just as well, just because of now the understanding that we have of the go-to-market. We were very lucky to have a few investors that came from, you know, heavy open source projects like MySQL, MariaDB, and they've been instrumental to understand that licensing, uh, I don't know, puzzle. Yeah, Adam, tell us about the community and, and where um, people can get involved and that sort of thing. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, so we have a number of areas uh, and ways that people you know, can get involved. You know, the first point of contact uh, is one of two places. You can visit our website, mindcb.com, and hopefully there'll be a link uh, below wherever this is posted. Or you can visit our GitHub, which is um, github slash mindcb slash mindcb. We have a number of public repos, but that is the, the main one. Um, and from those two places, you can um, you know, join our Slack channel. You can you know, join our forums. Uh, you can join a beta testing list. So we have a, a thriving community of people who love to test out the product, you know, the new features before they actually get rolled out to the rest of the community. And so there are many, many ways that people can, can get involved. Even if, uh, you know, you're not particularly technical and just want to get involved in the community, then reach out to us, join a beta tester list, um, you know, join our Slack channel, and we'll be happy to point you in the right direction. Great. Anything we didn't cover today that we should have? No, I think this has been fantastic. Good fun. MindCB, I, I just find is, is really, you know, clever and unique. I think we, we see a lot of open, open source projects that make sense. It, it takes a lot of work to build a stream processing service or a, um, you know, what have you distributed engine of some sort. And, and so I don't want to diminish those efforts, but this appears fairly novel. And it's really awesome that you're bringing machine learning to people who otherwise maybe would struggle to get there or certainly make, make a much more efficient approach. Thank you. Thank you very much. I think that we were trying very hard to, to ensure that, that that happens. So glad to hear it from you. Thank you, Eric, for the kind words. Appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Anytime. You can find today's show notes and past episodes at contributor.fyi. Until next time, I'm Eric Anderson, and this has been Contributor.